Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Spring Meetings 2017. This is the IMF's press conference. I'm very pleased that we have with us this morning the Managing Director, Madame Christine Lagarde. We also have with us, as usual, our first Deputy Managing Director, Mr. David Lipton. We are on the record this morning. Please keep your questions short. Identify yourself, please. And with that, I will turn to the Managing Director for some opening remarks, then we get to your questions. Madam Lagarde. Thank you. Thank you and good morning to uh, all of you. Welcome to the uh, 2017 spring meetings. Spring. Well, spring is in the air. There was a bit of rain this morning, but spring is, is in the air and spring is in the economy as well. So we are finally seeing the global economy uh, picking up the momentum uh, that we hope is going to be sustained uh, in the medium and longer term, and I'll be happy to discuss that this morning. It has also been uh, warmed by rays of sensible policies that are now bearing fruit in many countries. And as you will have seen from the wheel, which was commented upon by our chief economist, Maury Opsfeld, we are forecasting growth in 2017 at 3.5%, and 2018 at 3.6%. And that's a significant uptick from 2016, which was only at 3.1%, which is all good news. But we need to make sure that this momentum is sustained and that we continue to have that growth and more. And importantly, that that growth is shared more equitably. Now, looking at the downside, as we always do, uh, there are risks to the downsides, uh, including un political uncertainty. Uh, and we all remember the green shoots of 2011, which did not last very long. So what will we do during those spring meetings? Well, with the 189 representatives of the membership, finance ministers, governors of central banks, we will be discussing how we can sustain that momentum, how, irrespective of political cycles, we can make sure that our global economy is more resilient, how it is rooted in stronger growth, more inclusive growth, and with good cooperation amongst all. So how do we actually focus on more growth, and more inclusive growth. You will have seen uh, the global policy agenda, which is, uh, I think, on each of your chairs. And it's in that document, which is submitted to the board of the IMF, that I share with you uh, the objectives that we will pursue. Our first priority is to maintain uh, the growth momentum. Using which tools? Well, the traditional fiscal, monetary, structural reform tools that we put together as that three-pronged approach, which has to be tailored to each country's specificity. Second, and really importantly, we need to reinvigorate productivity, especially by boosting innovation and trade, which both fuel productivity, as is very clearly demonstrated by recent research paper that we published. And we need to make that global growth more inclusive. That inclusiveness 
needs to be identified and supported by policies on three dimensions, within countries, across countries, and between generations. So what do we mean by more equitable growth within countries? We mean making tax and benefit systems more equitable, boosting high quality infrastructure investment, and mitigating the impact of the structural changes that are taking place. And these policies can take different forms depending on the country's specificities. It can be minimum wages, or raising them when they're way too low. It means expanding in-work tax credit, the earned income tax credit, for instance. It means stepping up retraining, job search, labor market-specific policies, relocation supports, revisiting housing policies in order to facilitate labor mobility. Now, I also mentioned the intergenerational, in other words, over time, how do we make sure that that growth is equitable? Well, what it means is protect future generations against imprudent actions of today's generation. And here we're referring to the excessive debt burden. We're referring to unsustainable pension schemes. We're referring to poor or not maintained infrastructure and the impact of climate change. Finally, stronger cooperation across countries would help reduce excessive external imbalances, clamp down on tax evasion and tax avoidance. And it also means focusing on delivering on the sustainable development goals so that the low-income countries can also reap the benefit of these improved productivity and these good policies that we are recommending. All countries, of course, should guard again against what I have called the self-inflicted wounds, such as restrictions, subsidies, and other trade distortions that reduce competition and economic openness. Now, on the question of trade, which is clearly on the mind of some, we are very pleased to see that trade is picking up. Is trade going to continue to uh, increase and grow? We do think so. Is trade operating in a perfect environment with the perfect setting? No. Is there room to improve that? Of course. Should it be done in a cooperative forum, such as on the occasion on a week like this, with all finance ministers around and talking to each other in a cooperative setting and forum such as the IMF? Yes, we think so. With that, I'll be very happy to take questions. Thank you very much. Let's begin down here in the front row. Yes, sir. No. You, sir. Yes. Thank you, Director Lagarde. Uh, I'm Wang Guan with CCTV and CGTN from China. Morning. My question, morning to you. My question is, you once described the post-recession world economy as the new mediocre. Do you think we're seeing an end to it? And in particular, what role, if any, have the Chinese, China's recent economic performance and economic policies been playing in that regard. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, when, when I referred to the new mediocre, there was a combination of two mediocres. 
The first one was growth, which was, uh, you know, at around 3.1%. And the second one was the growth potential, which was also um, alarming, alarmingly uh, mediocre. The first one is certainly a lot better. And as I said, growth is picking up and there is a momentum underway which we need to sustain with the right short-term policies. But the growth potential still needs a lot of work. And there is clearly a need for policies that will support and encourage and improve productivity. Uh, this is one area where clearly policymakers have to focus. And whether they take particular measures to encourage innovation, support research and development by the private sector, participate in uh, uh, basic research themselves, uh, or whether they work on education, uh, skilling and reskilling on, on a very uh, vast uh, basis uh, will be obviously for them to decide. But we believe that productivity has to be uh, encouraged and supported so that we can move not just from low mediocre to less low mediocre, which is how I would characterize our position now, uh, to a not mediocre at all with the prospect of a strong potential growth going forward. And that applies to uh, all um, categories of economies uh, that we are, we are studying. As far as China is concerned, uh, there is clearly um, uh, good numbers coming out uh, that are certainly as a result of uh, some stimulus, some encouragement from uh, the, uh, the Chinese authorities. And uh, we are also quite pleased to see the rebalancing that is taking place uh, in, in China from being heavily uh, geared towards investment to being more uh, geared towards consumption, uh, from being uh, a bit more into services, actually more into services, not a bit more into services, and less so in manufacturing. Uh, we are seeing, of course, the rebound of, uh, of the export activity for obvious reasons, because demand addressed to China is picking up. So all of that is, is good and supportive. Uh, we also, as you know, have some very specific recommendations to China in relation to uh, the credit growth in particular, and to the reigning of the uh, uh, housing sector, which despite um, efforts already undertaken, is continuing to, uh, uh, to, um, to grow. Good. Uh, Reuters, uh, gentleman with his hand up. Hi, thanks, Madam Lagarde. Um, at these meetings, of course, there is a lot of concern about the policies that the Trump administration is going to put in place. And so I'm, I'm just wondering sort of how you're viewing them, how you're react reacting to them, uh, particularly on the trade front. Um, do you view this as sort of a, a big noisy family where you really have to have a loud voice to, to get your view across? Um, or is it a question of maybe adapting a bit because this is the new reality and we have to, and the organization has to change in its views to accommodate their, their views. Thanks. You know, from the, uh, the various contacts that I've had with the, uh, with the administration so far, uh, I have every reason to believe uh, that we will make progress, that we will um, cooperate all together uh, in order to support and indeed improve the system as we have it. Uh, 
you know, the IMF is not the trade organization, um, but we are concerned about trade because it has been a, a major engine for growth. And it's actually one of the pillars uh, of, uh, of uh, prosperity and growth going forward. So we uh, certainly will be looking at how we can participate in that, how we can continue to support the growth of trade, and how it can be done in the most um, uh, efficient, uh, fair, and global way as possible. And that implies clearly a, a level playing field, uh, no use of distortive measures, uh, and, uh, and, and no protectionist measures uh, going forward. Thank you. I, I want to come to the lady in the front. Yes, ma'am. Merci. Uh, Julienne Vogo, je suis de la télévision camerounaise. Madame la directrice générale, la zone CEMAC se porte mal et le FMI est à son chevet depuis quelques mois déjà. Est-ce que vous pouvez nous dire quels sont les conseils que vous pouvez prodiguer à cette zone CEMAC pour qu'elle retrouve des taux de croissance porteurs d'espoir So I'm going to answer in French and I'll summarize my answer in English for those interested and I'll be brief in the summary. Euh, merci d'abord de votre question. Euh, vous savez que dans la zone CEMAC, il y a six pays. Sur les six pays, deux sont déjà en, en partenariat et en, et en programme avec le Fonds monétaire international, c'est-à-dire la République centrafricaine et le Tchad. La, la, première, euh, la première certitude, c'est que ces six pays sont dans une zone monétaire et ils sont d'une certaine manière solidaire. Donc je crois qu'il est très important que les politiques qui sont mises en œuvre, les réformes qui sont entreprises, le soient de manière cohérente et collective. C'est-à-dire que chaque pays aura ses spécificités, chaque pays aura son programme de réforme à engager, euh, s'il le souhaite, mais je pense qu'il faut que ce soit une démarche qui soit une démarche commune aux six États. Euh, deuxième chose, nous sommes en, en relation euh, approfondie avec chacun des six y compris les deux qui sont actuellement sous programme, pour voir dans quelle mesure le Fonds monétaire international et les autres institutions internationales, hein, la Banque africaine de développement, la Banque mondiale, euh, des pays euh, amis euh, sur une base bilatérale, pourront aider euh, la zone à, à se redresser et à répondre au double défi qui se pose à elle, c'est-à-dire la baisse des matières, du, coût, du prix des matières premières, qui affecte beaucoup certains pays, et les questions de sécurité qui ont beaucoup aussi affecté certains des pays de la zone. So in a nutshell, for those who are interested in Cameroon, <laughs> six countries are in that monetary zone. The IMF is already uh, having a program with uh, two of them. We are discussing with the other four as well. And the first uh, recommendation is that uh, although each country will have to make specific eff efforts, the whole monetary zone has to move together and there has to be solidarity amongst them. And it will take many goodwill on the part of the government, of course, in the countries, but also on the part of all international institutions, including the African Development Bank, the World Bank, and bilateral uh, countries to support them. Thank you very much. Coming down to the front here, sir. Egypt, thank you. You need to raise your hand, sir. Yeah, Egypt. Uh, I would like to uh, ask uh, in English, in Arabic, sorry. Oh, okay. okay. Give us a minute. Okay. Okay. 
Don't take photos when we put things okay. in our ears. Smile. So, Ali, what is the situation in the political situation that Egypt has faced over the last few years? Addition to that, is there any expectation that the situation in the political situation will be faced اضافه الى ما هو المعاد المتوقع لمنح مصر الشريحه الثانيه من القرض البالغ 12 مليار دولار اضافه ما هو نحتاج لتفاصيل اكثر خلال اللقاء الاخير مع السيد الرئيس فتاح السيسي في واشنطن شكرا which is underway uh, has been uh, very courageous and has uh, embarked into very major reforms uh, for the country. Uh, I have expressed to President Sisi, uh, whom I met with uh, 10 days ago in Washington when he was visiting, uh, my um, strong encouragement for the work that had been accomplished and strong support to continue along that path. There is clearly um, a question that needs to be addressed, um, I would say head on, and that is inflation. So the other reforms have to continue, but there has to be a special focus on inflation. And I think that the, 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 the central bank and the finance ministers of Egypt are both aware and uh, um, will, I hope, um, tackle uh, the inflation risk which is weighing on the population. Um, it's a very important program, both in terms of amount. It's the second largest financial program that we have at the moment. Uh, and it's critically important uh, that the Egyptian authorities and the Egyptian people actually endorse the proposals there uh, in order to take the economy forward. It's, it's a big country. It can really unleash potential. And it has the challenge of, obviously, security and, and, and threats at home that uh, it needs to deal with. Okay, so I want to stay here. Uh, yes, gentleman from India. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. This is Lalit Jha from PTI Press Trust of India. Uh, I would last like to ask you about India's economic reforms in view of the two major uh, reforms that the Prime Minister has done. One is demonetization, wherein he changed the 86% currency of the, currency, uh, of the country, and also about the GST, uh, which is coming up in the next few months. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Um, as you know, we had slightly revised uh, down uh, our Indian projection as a result of the demonetization process that had been announced uh, a little bit unexpectedly, actually. Our understanding is that that demonetization has been now uh, remedied at about 75%. Those are the latest March figures that we have. So clearly, the situation is, is now being mended. And... Um, we believe that India is going to continue to grow at a, at a really uh, fast path. I think we have a 7.2% forecast for 2017. The um, GST reform is, 
is is really an act of courage uh, because it really means reforming in depth in in each of the Indian states uh, in order to um, substitute the existing state taxes by with that overall federal tax and then the reallocation of it and the digital platform that will support it. So I'm I'm personally extremely impressed by the. Uh, the work that is being done in that regard, and we expect some some positive outcome. You know, I think there have been other reforms as well that have been conducted by the Indian authorities uh, courageously. Uh, one one of which, which as a former lawyer, I'm particularly attentive to because it matters a lot, particularly when you want to deal with some of the uh, uh, some of the corporate sector or banking sector that needs uh, you know reforms and and. Uh, and, and help is the bankruptcy law, which has which has been now put in place. Uh, so, uh, you know, we are seeing significant development and and a clear determination to continue and to and to sustain growth going forward. Uh, I want to go to uh, Wall Street Journal, please, toward the back. Thank you. Ian Talley, Wall Street Journal. Bonjour encore, Madame. Bonjour. Uh, <laughs> you said um, that. There is room to improve the global trading system. Uh, and of course, it should be done cooperatively. Can you say exactly how you think the global trading system should improve? And or can you cite some examples for what it means to have a level playing field? Uh, and related to that, if I may. How many questions do you have? Th this is, this is the, the second part of the first question. <laughs> and, and, and the only, only question. question. Uh, the IMF's uh, pr primary mandate is, in some sense, surveillance, uh, assessing economies um, uh, accurately um, uh, as a way to uh, encourage global stability. Would you, in your assessment, call China a market economy? <laughs> And that's, of course, not a loaded question <laughs> on your part. Uh, on, on trade, when I say that there is room uh, to improve, you know, uh, you're talking to a former um, Secretary of Trade for France. And uh, I have been looking very carefully at the, uh, the reports of the WTO. And when you see that the number of violations, um, number of uh, cases, is steadily improving and has gone from you know, a little over 2% to 6.5% of non-compliance uh, with the trade commitments by the G20 countries alone between 2015 and 2016. When you see that there have been about 3,000 violations of the rules since uh, 2008, there is clearly an issue that needs to be addressed. And there is a dispute settlement system that exists, which has been used extensively by many partners, including the United States, the European Union, and China. But it's clearly an area where there is room for improvement. And I have been saying that for at least two years. So it's not a recent development. It's something that has been with us. It has simply increased between 2016 and 20, sorry, 2015 and 2016 in a quite significant way. So how is that improved? We believe very firmly in this institution in the value and virtues of dialogue, cooperation, uh, reciprocated assessment. 
Uh, and uh, we will contribute our part where we have competence and where it is our mission. And I think other institutions will also uh, want to do that as, as well in order to make sure that we do not jeopardize the engine of trade, which has been fueling growth and which um, is evidenced as a key component of productivity. If you look at the recent report that was published, there are two clear um, forces that drive productivity up. One is innovation, the other one is, is trade. We, we need to keep that going because if we don't improve productivity, our growth potential is going to stay mediocre as we were discussing it earlier. Now, surveillance, yes, this is uh, one of our three missions with lending and capacity um, uh, development. And uh, we do that on a bilateral as well as multilateral basis. Um, the multilateral surveillance work that we do, for instance, in the ESR, informs the bilateral surveillance that we do. Uh, and we will be releasing the, uh, the ESR uh, the external sector report where we uh, assess the external position of 29 countries next July and that will inform the bilateral article 4 that we conduct on those 29 countries. And irrespective of that external report, uh, we also uh, look at other factors, state-owned enterprises, the way in which financing is provided. And it's on the basis of all those factors that we actually make policy recommendation, but it's not our mission to declare whether one country is or not a market economy. Thank you. Uh, coming down to the front to uh, Brazil, please. Thanks. Madame Lagarde. Brazil has, is not yet out of the worst economic recession in, in its history and is in the middle of the biggest investigation against corruption in its history. If the, if the patient is the economy of the country, when can the medicine help and when can the medicine kill? And could you please make a reference to something that happened 25 years ago in Italy, uh, Operation Clean Hands, that was not dissimilar to what's Manipulite. happening. Manipulite. Thank you. You know, when I look at uh, our list of, of countries, uh, one clear indication that growth is picking up and that there is a momentum across the board is that there is not a single minus in that whole column of forecast for 2017, including Brazil, which has you know, just come out of a major um, contraction in, in 2016. So I would say that uh, thanks to um, the cycle, thanks to policies that have been announced, some of which that are being implemented, uh, hopefully Brazil has turned, the Brazilian economy has turned the corner and is going to improve over the course of 2017 and 2018. And clearly, we welcome both the fiscal policy that has been uh, identified, the uh, intention to reduce debt going forward, and the monetary policy that responds to a clear reduction of inflation in Brazil. So the policy mix, as we see it, from those two perspectives is fine. Structural reforms are clearly needed. 
and trying to get to the bottom of uh, that corruption case or cases or list of cases uh, will be critically important in order to unleash the potential of the Brazilian economy. Will it take a bit of transition time to move from the state of affairs that was known previously to a state of, of affairs where uh, the economic relationships will be more transparent, will be better um, uh, disclosed? Possibly, but certainly the fiscal monetary policies that are underlying uh, those changes are, are there in place. Uh, thank you. Uh, Agence France Press, please. Now I can say bonjour. Bonjour, Madame Lagarde. Bonjour, Monsieur Torchman. Uh, uh, the U.S. has recently accused uh, Germany of uh, contributing to global imbalances by uh, running a large uh, surpluses and by uh, unfairly benefiting from the, the low valuation of the euro. Uh, do you share this assessment, and are you willing to put more pressure on Berlin to to act? You know, I think the uh, the position of the IMF in relation to reducing external imbalances has not varied uh, in the course of the last few years. Um, and in relation to um, the German economy in particular, I think we have consistently said that the external imbalance of Germany um, within the Eurozone um, should be addressed. And I've I think gone public last week to actually say that part of that surplus is justifiable given the aging um, character of the um, German population, but that not all of it is justified, and that um, a reduction of that primary uh, of that uh, surplus of the current account, and particularly the trade balance, was highly desirable. Um, I'm we are pleased to see that Germany has decided uh, to uh, increase investment in the field of um, childcare centers, uh, is spending quite a bit of money on attending the refugees' needs uh, for those refugees who are being integrated in the German economy, and uh, to also invest in some infrastructure. I have personally recommended to Chancellor Merkel that investing in the broadband system um, in Germany would would be a good idea. Good. I'm going to stay with the wires. Uh, Bloomberg, please. Can you raise your hand, Bloomberg? Andrew Maeda, Bloomberg News. I won't good morning. I won't inflict my French on you. Uh, Moliere would uh, <laughs> spin in his grave. Um, question for you on uh, currencies. Uh, the U.S. has suggested that perhaps the IMF could play a more robust role in monitoring uh, currency practices globally. Have you given some thought to this uh, and how that might play out? What do you think that would look like? Uh, what would be a way for uh, the IMF to step up its currency monitoring? Well, thank you. Um, you know, the, uh, the external sector report is a, a fairly sophisticated instrument uh, which has been uh, evolving over the course of the last uh, four years predominantly. And I think uh, ever since we have, uh, David and I, um, taken the leadership of this institution, we have been very keen to continuously improve the system. As you know, it's informed notably by the EBA, 
which is also um, a sophisticated instrument. But as sophisticated as they are, they're also uh, models and, and, and work that need to constantly be improved. Because there's a judgmental part about that, um, that system, which we always need to uh, insert in the most rigorous, um, intellectually honest way in order to arrive at a system that is, that is um, the best explanation and the best uh, set of, of data that we combine together. So we will be doing that. I think that you know, over the course of the last four years, it has improved each and every year, and uh, it will, I hope, continue to improve in order not to satisfy every player, because typically not everybody is satisfied with the outcome, but at least to eliminate doubt about the, uh, the um, looseness of the, of the analysis. Good. Uh, just in front of Bloomberg is The Guardian, Larry Elliott. Good morning, Larry Elliott of The Guardian. Can you tell Good us what, the, la what the, um, the latest state of play is with the IMF's negotiations over a new package for Greece? Are you any closer to coming to an agreement over the scale of debt relief that you would be prepared to accept to sign up to a new package? You know, I, as, as you all know, and, and you certainly do, uh, I've consistently repeated that uh, for the IMF to be um, entering into a program with Greece, uh, would require that the program can walk on two legs. One leg is the leg of reforms, the other leg is that of debt sustainability. The leg of reform has made progress. Uh, we've always contended that reforms should be uh, sustainable reforms, parametric reforms that would actually lead the Greek economy to, to be more solid going forward. And we are seeing uh, progress that need to be uh, detailed and ironed out when the mission returns to Greece in, in a few days on both the tax reform and on the pension reform. There are other areas that need to be negotiated as well, but this is making progress and we are heading in a good direction when it comes to reforms. On the debt sustainability analysis, which, as you know, is part of any program that I would submit to the board, uh, we, we still need to discuss and understand uh, the primary surplus objective that would be assigned to the Greek economy, which, in our view, and in order to determine sustainability, would have to be reasonable. And uh, that will indeed determine uh, the amount of debt restructuring that would be needed for the debt of Greece to be sustainable uh, in the uh, in the medium and long term. Thank you. With two more questions, I'm going to take. Uh, I'm looking for the lady from Mexico. Bonjour, Madame Lagarde. Bonjour. <laughs> Alicia Salgado de Enfoque Noticias México. And I would like to, to ask you one question, global question. A year ago was uh, a scandal about the Panama Papers. And one of the uh, compromise at the end of the meeting was the uh, setting of a platform that could help uh, to stop the arbitrage between uh, countries um, that uses uh, um, the uh, tax systems uh, to avoid uh, in other countries the, mm. the uh, uh, optimization, optimization, as it's called. Uh -huh. uh, the, 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 
the revenues for the for the government. And the second one is on Mexico. Do you think that in this um, moment, when uh, it has uh, passed two years of big shocks, um, with the downward, uh, downward of the oil platform, the oil prices, the stretch of the income, and even the volatile external rates, and even the focus that the Trump administration has given uh, to the uh, NAFTA future, do you think it, it is uh, okay for Mexico to be a credit, uh, a flexible credit line supporter in this moment, especially? Um, somebody, is, uh, some uh, agencies are thinking to downgrade even uh, the the credit uh, the credit risk uh, outlook. Mm. Um, how do you see it in Mexico? I'll start with you, your first question. I'm not exactly sure what the scope is, but what, what, I, what I know is that between the, the Panama and the Bahamas papers, uh, there have been in multiple jurisdictions around the world uh, tax pursuits and trials and, and investigations and controls that have been undertaken in order to recover uh, the lost revenue by, by the state. Uh, the IMF does not deal with those um, national um, determinations, but we are really encouraged uh, by both the, uh, the BEPS project and signing up by all the authorities by the now um, enter into effect of the uh, automatic exchange of information. And we certainly believe that it will help uh, better design uh, tax national systems uh, in order to make sure that governments in their respective countries will secure the legitimate flow of revenues that they should be aspiring to and that they are, should be entitled to. Uh, together with the bank, with the UN and with the OECD, uh, we have set up that international tax platform where we are trying to give as much support as we can and we have finished now putting together the toolkit and we are providing about a third of our total capacity development on those issues as well in order to help them structure their tax system on the one hand and in order to raise domestic uh, revenue at home. That's with a particular focus on the low-income countries. On, on Mexico, we are uh, really encouraged by the set of uh, very solid, strong policies um, implemented by both the monetary authorities and the, uh, uh, the uh, Secretary of Treasury in Mexico. Uh, as we know, the, um, the price of oil has, has increased significantly, inflation has, has gone up as a result, but we believe that the monetary response that was uh, immediately uh, put in place uh, by way of, of uh, tightening was actually the right, uh, the right decision. And um, the flexible credit line is in place. I think it's, uh, it's providing support uh, to the Mexican economy. At this point in time, we see no reason whatsoever uh, to qualify, challenge uh, that state of affairs, and we believe that Mexico satisfies all the requirements of the flexible credit line. So this is going to be the last question. I'm going to go to the hosts of our next annual meeting in Indonesia. Ah. We can use our French again. Voyage to Bali. Yeah. No, voyage to Indonesia. Selamat datang di Indonesia. Thank you, madam. Uh, good morning. My name is Gali from Business Indonesia. Uh, I only want, I have one question for you. Uh, reducing inequality has become a concern for many governments from the advanced economy 
and the emerging economies as well. Uh, but the other side, the resource needed to support that action is very limited. For example, uh, the, the revenue from the taxes is not very good or uh, it's very low, let's say. So do you have any suggestion on how to address uh, that challenge? Thank you very much. First of all, uh, thank you very much for the help that uh, the Indonesian authorities, the Indonesian people are giving us in order to prepare for next year's uh, annual meeting in Indonesia. We are all looking forward to it. And anybody who likes strong coffee, good coffee, there is an Indonesian coffee booth, which is just uh, out outstanding. Um, you know, the, the Indonesian economy is, is growing at a, at a nice pace. I was just looking at numbers. We're forecasting 5.1, 5.3 next year. But it's obviously uh, a country where reducing inequalities is a goal. And I know that uh, the finance minister, um, Frimuliani, is, is determined uh, to do that. I think that the fiscal policy that she applies, uh, her determination to collect uh, revenues that have been sitting outside of the country by way of the tax amnesty of Indonesia has been a good effort uh, to have more fiscal space available moving forward. Uh, there are clearly structural reforms that uh, will, will be also uh, undertaken in, in Indonesia. And uh, we would strongly recommend that that same policy uh, be applied with the same, same vigor uh, that, is, uh, that is needed. That's it, sir. <laughs> he calls the shots. Thank you very much. See you soon.